What's up, fellow passengers? It's a pleasure to have you with us on this late July edition of Rearview Movies. My name is Scotty Williams, and in the passenger seat with me, as always, well, I don't know, depending on most trips, people don't like it when I drive, so he might be driving, uh, is my co-pilot, Trevor Kirkendall. How are you today, sir? We have taken long road trips before, and I don't let you take the wheel. So no, <laughs> I, I don't understand what this what this vendetta is against my driving. I'm one of the only people in my friend group who's certified to drive a large bus. That's all I'll say about that. Um, I'm certified I, to drive a forklift, but you don't see me bragging about it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> well, I guess we're going to jump on into our movie for this week. We're going to be talking about a film that wound up part of a franchise that goes back quite a long way. If we're talking about it here, Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. The 2001 Specifically remake. the 2001 version, yes. Yep. This goes back to the old uh, Charlton Heston version from way back in the day. One of the most classic science fiction films of all time. And somewhere in the late 90s or the early 2000s, somebody got the bright idea that they said, Hey, this movie needs a remake. Trans- translation, maybe there's some money in this. Exactly. <laughs> maybe there's some money in it. And who can we get? Who's weird enough that we can make do a movie with talking apes who would that be oh i know let's get tim burton to do it (laughs) you know tim burton does have has made a career out of uh in fact i was trying to think of a word prior to the broadcast that described tim burton and frankly this is not meant as a as an insult whatsoever he's a fantastic director the word quirky comes to mind yeah i would say that is a good word to describe him there's certainly a lot of uh uh, uniqueness to his work that you don't really see in a whole lot of other directors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of interesting stories and interesting characters and, and Johnny Depp in about every third one. Yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Planet of the Apes looks like it released on July 27th of 2001. And Trevor, what do we need to know about this film? Well, like we said, it is directed by Tim Burton. It is a remake of the 1968 version with Charlton Heston. Actually, more of a readaptation of the original book that mm-hmm. the story was based on. Yeah. A uh, French author. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. <laughs> uh, this movie apparently takes place eight years from now. At least it starts eight years from now. In 2029, an Air Force astronaut crash lands on a mysterious planet where evolved talking apes dominate a race of primitive humans. And this will be your one and only spoiler alert, but let's be honest, you've had 20 years to see it. Fair. This movie stars Mark Wahlberg, Tim Roth, Helena Bonham Carter, Michael Clark Duncan. And I'm going to stop there, and I just want you to think about those four names. Yeah. For a minute. Heavyweights. Heavyweights. Now, Mark Wahlberg, not at this time. It would be a couple years, but essentially all four of these people are Oscar-nominated actors. Yep. Okay. Just remember that for when we get into this in a little bit, okay? <laughs> well, don't forget the last three. Yep. We also have Chris Christopherson, Estella Warren in one of her first roles, and Paul Giamatti. Also, not today, but in a few years, another Oscar-nominated actor. Mm-hmm. Just keep that in mind for when <laughs> we start diving into this. The amount of star power that's in this, the amount of Oscar-nominated talent that's in this... Mm-hmm. Just remember that. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Mark Wahlberg, apparently the story is he joined this film after he met with Tim Burton for five minutes. He had a five-minute meeting with Tim Burton, and it talked him into it. Didn't even look at the script. Just said, I want to work with Tim Burton. Here we go. 
Um, <laughs> I want to work with Tim Burton, and I want 5% of the back end. Thank hey, you. Take what you get. But uh, actually, uh, believe it or not, there's a role he turned down uh, to play. Obviously, most actors, actors, I'll say this is the case. They're doing a movie. They turn it down to do another movie. So apparently, Mark Wahlberg was going to play Linus in Ocean's Eleven and dropped out to do this movie. You know, I think I've heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting thought. Do you think he made the right decision? Um, no, I don't. Uh, because if the choice was between Ocean's Eleven and Planet of the Apes, uh, listeners can't see my face right now, but <laughs> I can. <laughs> I'm going, no, 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 no. Wrong choice. Well, Wrong choice, Mark. But hey, if you're looking at it financially, he probably got a little bit more money for this one than he did for Ocean's Eleven. I, he would have gotten for Ocean's Eleven. It probably turned out to be a raise, I would guess. Yeah, probably. But no, Mark Wahlberg was part of a of an excellent cast. And, and speaking of money, we wind up paying people. This movie had a budget of $100 million that turned into an opening weekend, number one at the box office, $68 million. Domestic gross of 180 international 182 for a grand total of 362 million dollars made its money back thrice so you know good by those standards however you look at rotten tomatoes and its lens the critics gave this movie a 44 and the rotten tomatoes audience apparently did not like this that much in fact somewhere on par with scary movie 2 if you're looking at the score uh rotten tomatoes audience gave it a 27 i think a touch harsh but their summary is this remake of planet of the apes can't compare to the original in some critics mind but the striking visuals and B-movie charms may win you over. What do you think of that? B-movie charms? B-movie charms? B-movie charms. What charms are in this movie? <laughs> Folks, spoiler alert, I don't think Trevor likes this movie very much. <laughs> oh, but no, I. you know, it, it's an interesting, you know, striking visuals is an interesting point because the truth of it is... I actually think one of the strongest points of this movie was how good that that ape makeup was. I mean, that was that was a really solid makeup job. Well, it's Rick Baker, and Rick Baker is a makeup legend in Hollywood. Yeah, well, deservedly so because again, there's it's kind of interesting when you're talking about playing in a movie where you're going to be in such heavy makeup that there's maybe the faint resemblance of the original individual. So, you know, you look at uh, Helena Bonham Carter's character and it's like, yeah, I can kind of see her in there. And, and the same with like Tim Roth and Michael Clark Duncan and some of the others. Apparently getting that makeup on took four and a half hours and then it took an hour and a half to remove it. Um, Burton apparently explaining to people that it was like going to the dentist at two in the morning, have them poke at you for hours, and then you have to wear an ape costume until nine o'clock at night. So definitely a labor of love for the actors who had to jump in that makeup. Yeah, you have to be really dedicated or making a whole lot of money in order to <laughs> want to torture yourself like that to oh, spend yeah. that much time in a chair with all that. And I'm sure it's not comfortable. I'm sure it's hot, you know? <laughs> well, there was one story that during production, Michael Clark Duncan sprained his ankle. And when they had to take him to the hospital, they didn't have time to take the stuff off. So they took him to the hospital in his costume. Lovely. <laughs> that would have been fun to see. <laughs> What's Well, um, can you give us your insurance information, sir? <laughs> So 20 years ago, Scotty, where were you when you saw this mm. and what did you think? So caught this one on cable, did not catch this one in the theater. So it would have been a little later than July. Uh, probably in terms of my opinion, I thought it was, I, I thought it was not very good to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, just basically didn't think it was, it was in, in, exceptionally good. I thought it got really complex towards the end 
And uh, that, that was my general thought. How about yours? Yeah, I saw this movie with, um, when did I see this? I saw it in the theater. I don't know if it was opening weekend. I saw it with the girl I had been dating. We went and saw it. Actually, I remember walking out of the movie theater and we were walking back to the car and um, out of nowhere, this dude just comes like running across the parking lot as an ape making ape noises. Just, oh my gosh. And everyone's like looking at him like, what? But I mean, he'd been staring at it for the last two hours. So he was just imitating what he saw, I guess. <laughs> That's either really so, funny or really unsettling, depending on where you saw it. Well, I was unsettled, uh, but my girlfriend was laughing so hard she had to stop walking. <laughs> so, um, was he going legit, like all fours? All fours, yeah. I mean, he looked like he was in the movie. Oh, good lord! So, yeah, we saw it in the theaters, and um, I, yeah, of course, I, I didn't like it. It was, I was looking forward to seeing it because I do like Tim Burton, but I mean, then the reviews started coming out, and everybody was talking about how terrible it was. And by the time we finally saw it, it was kind of like, oh god, this is. This is as bad as they were saying. It definitely can't compare to the original. I actually hadn't seen the original mm-hmm. at that time, so this was sort of my first exposure to it. Of course, I had seen all the famous scenes from it. I knew the the quotable lines and, of course, the thing with the Statue of Liberty at the end of the, yeah, yeah. the movie, the big reveal. I knew that. And right. The, the thing about this one was is that they were going to top that. Like, how do you top that? Yeah, yeah, that that's hard to top that. If I understand it correctly, because I haven't seen the original, but I've under, I've understood basically that the storytelling is exceptional in the first one. Well, it is, and it's just a very it's just a very solid science fiction movie. I mean, it's you know it's campy because it's 1968, um, so it doesn't quite have the the visuals that uh, you're going to get with 2001. Right. Yeah, it was. It's definitely better, and of course, Charlton Heston is incredible. Mm, compared to his role in this one <laughs> yeah compared to his little role in this one but uh it, it's definitely better that's for sure mm. but i hadn't seen it at the time so this was sort of my first interaction with the story so f- the way i understand it this one's more closely tied to the book again mm-hmm. that's another thing i haven't read so i'm right. not i'm not sure if that's the case mm-hmm. especially compared to how the original one was set up mm-hmm. yeah the, the these two movies side by side they don't really they don't really line up I mean there's a few things that are the same between the two of them sure but largely there's not a lot of similarities in the story most of the comparisons to my understanding are pretty symbolic like you know the line get your hands off me you dirty human and and some of that other stuff are more symbolic yeah. than anything and of course the ending more symbolic and, and something you can see it that they wanted to do something similar to what happened in the original and something similar to what was seen. But frankly, I think the choice they made on that was confusing. We're putting the cart before the horse or the pod before the monkey in this case. So yeah. uh, I guess jumping on board, we're, uh, we start the movie off 2029 aboard the Oberon and Leo Davidson is working with primates training for space missions, who, by the way, the monkey sucks at the part of the movie, right? Like yeah. one thing hits his spacecraft and he just Haha, ha, goes ape, right? Goes goes crazy, yeah. goes ballistic. And he's like, man, you need more training. And then five minutes later, they're going to send him off onto something. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> that something they run into is the uh, electromagnetic storm that's approaching their ship. Mm-hmm. And so they send out the, the monkey, the chimpanzee, into mm-hmm. that to kind of probe the storm. But he disappears once he goes in there. They, they lose contact with him. They can't seem to find him. So they're just going to uh, kind of chalk it up and say whatever he's gone but you know i guess mark Wahlberg is sort of like no i can't lose my chimp so 
<laughs> against orders, he boards one of the pods and goes in after him. Although there are like 10 more chimps in the cages. Yeah, they could have sent any one of them, but no, Mark Wahlberg had to go rescue this one. Pericles. Got to go get Pericles, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> he goes in to the storm, and of course he loses contact with his ship, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, he winds up somehow. I don't know how they, they determine this, but his ship counts the number of years. Yeah, and, and what it, year it pushes it, all the way forward lands, to 5,021, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it lands on that year, but how does it like? How does it know that that is that many Earth years has gone by? You know, I'm not. Yeah, you, right. You no, would that figure, makes total right, sense. Yeah, yeah. If if he was just supposed to sort of, you know, this is relativity coming in. I mean, Einstein was right on that. So <laughs> if if he's going through this and he's only perceiving about five minutes worth of time, then the years wouldn't change. But the relativity, on the other hand, says a lot of time's gone by. So. We're not going to get into that. You know, for the record, there's only two there's only two possible like conceptions of time travel I've ever agreed with in movies. One of them is Back to the Future, best movie ever made, just period. <laughs> and the other one is from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which if you've been watching Loki, they have gone just just all overboard in, but you know. Yeah, but we we're not going to spoil Loki. It's not been 20 years. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not going to spoil Loki. It's been a little while yeah. on that. But anyway, so jumping back into it, we have the scene where Mark Wahlberg uh, winds up with this band of humans who's running away and are, you know, very frantically, uh, you know, kind of captured basically by ape soldiers who are wearing armor and look very humanistic. Yeah, they the crashes on the planet and immediately comes into contact with like a very primitive looking human race. So mm-hmm. already one of the differences between the two is the Charlton Heston had some company when he crashed on the planet. They, I think, encountered the apes before they ran into the people. Mm-hmm. And the people in the original one, they didn't even talk. They hadn't like evolved to a point where they could have a conversation. But everybody here speaks perfect English, including the humans. I got to imagine that would be very difficult to conceive as a storyteller when you've got to advance a plot with, you know, the vast majority of the characters unable to speak. Well, and that's what makes the 1968 version really good. Sure, sure, definitely. Um, but, you know, they already blew a lot of money on on, on makeup. You can't go much farther than that. Yeah. I mean. So one of these chimps that he comes across is a, a female chimpanzee named Ari which is Helena Bonham Carter. And this is a a character that was sort of in the original as well. Mm -hmm. Um, She's protesting the treatment that the humans are receiving. Like she's a, she's a human rights activist, I guess. Um, (laughs) She's part of, uh, what would it be? She's part of Chief Chimps (laughs) for the ethical treatment of humans. (laughs) Or, or that's true. Uh, So going back to the movie now, Ari has decided to buy Mark Wahlberg, Mm -hmm. take him home. Um, also buys a female slave named, what was her, Deanna? Was De- that, I don't even think they ever actually said her name. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember either. Deanna, I'm not sure. This is Estelle Warren. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and to kind of jump through this for a second, can I just say how good Paul Giamatti's faces were as he was doing this role? <laughs> he was, yeah. again, through makeup, very expressive faces, and just I actually thought he was very good. Yeah, I mean, he's an expressive person anyway, so it doesn't surprise me that he was able to communicate that through all that makeup. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course they left his eyes very much exposed Mm -hmm. rather than some of the other ones. Yes, definitely. So she takes them home to act as servants. And this was not something that was in the, uh, 
this was not something that was in the original movie either. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess her father is a senator yes. over there. Yeah, the political structure over there is remarkably similar to the United States political structure. <laughs> I found that interesting. Right. So they, they're at this house. They're working as servants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mark Wahlberg ends up escaping from his cage and frees other humans, including including uh, Estella Warren's father, which is Chris Christopherson. Mm-hmm. Um, they also take Paul Giamatti with them and, uh, so that he doesn't, you know, speak out, rat him out or whatever. But right. um, we're also getting a chance to meet for the first time the antagonist in this movie, which is General Thade, mm-hmm. which is Tim Roth. Yes. Unrecognizable in every sense. Um, and then his right-hand colonel, which is uh, Michael Clark Duncan, who yep. is a big dude anyway. So, I mean, he's very mm-hmm. commanding and very intimidating, especially in all the makeup he's wearing. So, mm-hmm. Well, and, and General Thade, I thought, the you know, for whatever, for Tim Roth or whatever, but General Thade, I mean, you talk about putting evil in a face. Um, just his scowl, right? The, that eyes really low, kind of staring down at the screen. General Thade did that exceptionally well, I thought. Well, now, here's where I want to bring back up the fact that these are all Oscar-winning actors. Okay. Um, because, yes, they deliver lines in English, and they're well-spoken, and they, you know, they, they do walk around on two feet and everything, but there are times where they're asked to go, like, full-on ape. Yes. And it is torturous to watch, <laughs> because I just, every time they do that, when they, like, freak out with the, Wah! Right. Like Like, when Thade finds out that his horses have been taken and he jumps all over the place. Yeah. It's like, come on, man. Like I'm watching this. I'm like, this is a dude that's, I've I've seen this guy in so many (laughs) movies and he's always solid. And here he is bouncing around on all fours, making crazy monkey sounds. Apparently the actors had to go to ape school to learn about this, by the way. (laughs) No, but yeah, Thade was, was, you know, had to the part. You're right. These actors jumping around, having to again pretend to be monkeys, uh, basically, and they go off after the humans after they get angry and find out about it. But then we find out pretty interesting plot point that for some reason these apes are deathly afraid of water because they can't swim. Interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think they just put that in there just to put it in there. <laughs> Well, how else are you going to, for a creature that can jump as far as they apparently can and climb and swing on things, how are you going to put distance between them and human beings, right? That's true, yeah. So now that they're out and free, they're going to try to find this uh, spaceship. He thinks that his crew has landed somewhere on the other side of the planet and they've come for him. So he's uh, Mark Wahlberg is going to lead this whole group out to him. But uh, what they're really going toward is... Uh, a signal that's in this area that they call it. I had to laugh at this. They call it Kalima. Kalima, yeah. And I just couldn't get the Temple of Doom out of my head whenever they said that. <laughs> Kalima. Simos. Yeah, yeah, some of so those names. It's a, it's a forbidden holy temple for Simos, the <laughs> ape that was the first ape. You know, I guess he's kind of like a Jesus figure for him, and they yeah. revere him as as a as a god amongst apes um <laughs> and uh he will return one day so goes the the uh the, the ape bible i guess but mm-hmm. um yeah they're going out there and what they find when they get there is that kalima is actually the remains of mark Wahlberg's ship from thousands of years ago so it must have gone through 
the same electromagnetic storm, but popped out at a different part in time. Yes. And very, you're going to twist yourself in knots trying to explain with any degree of relativity how that happens. Right. Other than just saying, oh, time travel. Right. I had, I did, I did read some interesting theory that apparently the items were coming out like in the reverse order that they went in. So like Mark Wahlberg's ship was the Mark, you know, Pericles went in first. So he comes out last. Wahlberg comes in second. He comes in very confusing, but Mm -hmm. yes. So no, I'm, but I'm with you. Hey, time travel. Yeah. They may as well have just flashed the old school Batman screen and done the ape. Like to go right back to it from Batman. Yeah. I mean, in all these movies, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of suspension of disbelief when it comes to time travel movies. Just because we know that it's not really possible. So in order to make it seem possible in a movie, you do have to say, okay, let's just see what the rules are in this world and we'll abide by them and follow them. Right. Although I will say one of the criticisms I have of the plot is there were quite a few places where they just took something that would have been very hard to explain and then just kind of tried to one-line it away, right? Yeah. Like, what's up with the water? Apes can't swim. How is it possible to read to see a transmission from this ship that theoretically has been stranded there for 3,000 years? There are forever batteries on the ship. I mean, like, there's mm-hmm. parts of it I thought were incredibly convenient trying to explain them. Yeah. And that's just that, that goes to showing you how really awful this movie is, is that there are so many conveniences and, uh, no, it just doesn't work for me. Well, the Mark Wahlberg actually did have a, uh, Mark Wahlberg and Tim Burton may together have had a theory about how that took place, but we can get to that in a second. So we do find out that where they got the name Kalima from is there's a, there's a, uh, a sign on one of the walls inside the ship that says caution live animals and only the C A L I and M A are visible. Yeah. Cause the rest of it's covered in dust. So caution live animals turn into Kalima. For the record, why would you have to have a sign like that on a spaceship? It's not a zoo. Well, I mean, there may have been some air force regulation or something, you know, right. some, it's kind of like some government rule. Hey, we got to put a sign up here. There's animals. Caution. Coffee is hot sort of thing. So, Um, but they are able to switch this ship back on, which is where you talked about the forever batteries. Yeah, they've got forever batteries. Yeah, I mean, this ship has been here for thousands of years, apparently, and all the computers fire right up without any trouble. According to the the logs in the computer, the station's been here for thousands of years. Well, honestly, I'm kind of fired up about that because that means theoretically that sometime between now and 2029, they're going to create some forever batteries and I'm ready for my phone not to die. So that's excellent news. Yeah, that is excellent news. So we'll also be flying um, large manned spaceships out near what Neptune or wherever they were. Well, Jeff Bezos just got to space. Give him some time. Okay. Yeah. So it, it took him 50 years to get to space. So maybe it'll only take him eight years to get to Neptune. Um, but it's at this point too, that Mark Wahlberg realizes what's happened is that they went through the vortex. He was pushed through time. They were likely not, or if they were pushed through time, it wasn't quite as far mm-hmm. and they crashed on this planet way before he did. So they're all dead and gone now. I mean, mm-hmm. and all the monkeys are dead and gone. So, um, the one monkey Simos they see in, uh, some old videos, he organized this kind of monkey mutiny. <laughs> And they took control of the ship after it crashed. And then I guess they figure out that whatever human survivors that were on that ship were then enslaved by Simos. And so what we're looking at here is all these apes on this planet 
are descendants of Simos, and all the people that he's interacted with are all descendants of his former crewmates. Mm -hmm. And you wonder why this movie's bad. Right, because watching... Attempting to explain that through a regular plot would be difficult enough, but trying to have a character basically just narrate it to you and, and give it to you is just kind of mind-numbing. It is. And there's two things that are seriously, absolutely mind-numbing, stupid, and boring in this movie altogether, and it is the um, the monkey politics. <laughs> so exciting. I, don't, I, I came to this movie to watch cool action sequences cool set pieces, awesome makeup, special effects, and instead I get talking monkeys and talking politics. <laughs> it's stupid. And then, of course, the other one, too, is all this blah, 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 super dense exposition that everyone's talking about. And, you know, I missed some of this stuff at first because I kind of tuned it out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when sure. somebody's telling you a boring story and you're just kind of going, uh-huh. 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 I mean, that's sort of what I'm doing here. Well, like, oh. you know, drawing it back to a previous film we've looked at, Lara Croft Tomb Raider, I told you that when I first watched it, one of the reasons I didn't like it was because the, the original narration and the original lining out of the story in that first interesting opening scene was so dense that it kind of lost me, right? And so, similar thing here. Again, we can... Do we really need to explain? I mean, do we even need to explain why Mark Wahlberg is there and the ship is? Just, hey, because science... In fact, they even had one of those little Marvel, this isn't magic, it's science moments in the film when he was looking at his transmitter. Uh-huh. They were uh -huh. like, yeah. Uh -huh. See? Exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. You lost me, man. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but no, why do you need to explain it? I mean, everything in, like you just said, everything in a movie does not have to make sense, right? No. This movie's going to start making even less sense now because it's at this point, too, I'm bored. Mm -hmm. I've lost it. I'm ready to turn it off, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, I can't even stomach going any further in this, but hey, I've made it this far. I got nothing else to do. <laughs> I so. figured since I come this far. <laughs> yeah, I got this far. Why don't I just keep on going? But Well, um, they've realized that there's no getting off the planet, and now they're going to have to fight this army of apes that's coming for them, right? Yeah, they're going to fight the ape army that has been tracking them. Even though this is like sacred ground, they're not supposed to go there. They're going to lead a full army there and do battle right at the foot of Kalima. Well, and remember that Mark Wahlberg, one of the things that I was taking notes on as I was watching it was in the scope of 10 minutes, he goes from, we cannot win this run to, Hey guys, we can do this. And literally yeah. nothing changes in the scope of doing it. Yeah. So they're, they're at this ship. Everyone starts to arrive. Now all these humans show up too, because I guess they were tweeting about Mark Wahlberg or something. So <laughs> All the humans on the planet just know to come here to, mm -hmm. to see Mark Wahlberg. And they're like, yeah, we're going to stand by you. And we're going to, yeah, you're going to lead us into battle. And we're going to win our freedom from the apes. With our something. sticks. Yeah. Yeah. So so they, they line up. This was I, I did kind of laugh at this one because it was actually pretty smart, I suppose, <laughs> of, uh, of Mark Wahlberg's character. Because the first wave of apes start going through. Mm -hmm. And... You know, there's all this technology that that Mark Wahlberg possesses that no one, none of these apes have seen because it is still a pretty primitive society. Yep. So they're impressed with his gun. They've never seen such a thing, you know, but there is enough fuel, apparently, that hasn't dissolved over a thousand years or <laughs> three thousand years or whatever that hasn't dissolved in the tanks. It also has so, forever fuel. Yes. Yeah. Forever fuel. So they 
they um they hit the button and it just blows out the back a huge fireball from one of the engines oh yeah i know it looked like turning on a moth light and killing a bunch of flies yeah completely wastes them and they're just like fade and and um michael clark duncan are all back there like whoa like they've never seen such a thing and mm-hmm. um they're actually a little bit resistance to go through because they don't realize that can't do it again so yeah, no, like, michael clark duncan even says like we cannot defeat him with this weapon and nobody comes out and says that's probably the only shot yeah no no one has any idea but i guess they take their chances and they go for it anyway well, so th- there is one scene that happened that we've kind of skipped over that happened that i thought was kind of fun to look at was uh, charlton heston's appearance in this film yeah, we did skip over that. Um, I was going to come back to that. Uh, but uh, yeah, Charlton Heston plays Thade's father, yep. who is gravely ill, and he's lying in a bed. And man, poor Charlton Heston, I got to tell you, because he had a rough couple years. He was in this, and then the next year he got interviewed by Michael Moore. I mean, it was... <laughs> It's a rough time to be Charlton Heston at this point. So, And again, what's interesting is there's three guns that appear in this movie, right? One of them is the one Mark Wahlberg first brings out and uses to kind of get Paul Giamatti to listen to him, which is then summarily smashed against a rock. Because remember, if they have this gun, they really have nothing to fear, right? Mm-hmm. So they smash it. So the, the apes kind of smash the gun to be like, well, you don't need that. Would come in handy later, just saying. Yep. <laughs> um, and then there's the one that's... Charlton, again, I keep saying General Thade's dad shows him that I guess maybe doesn't work because he never tries to use it. I kept thinking he was going to show it for the final battle with the gun. And then but he didn't, but he found one in the ship, though. Yeah, he found exactly. Well, the one he found in the ship was the one that Mark Wahlberg pulled out of Pericles' ship. Oh, right. It yeah. was in that little messenger sling bag and he pulled it out. So I guess that leads me to believe that the monkey could have used the gun, right? Because it was in the sling bag. Yeah. He probably knew how to work it. Yeah, that's kind of dangerous. Well, I <laughs> mean, how else is a, how how else a is firearm? A, well, how else is a chimpanzee going to get out of a cage and enslave a human, right? This is true. But no, just just an interesting point. But uh, kind of jumping back into it, like you said, Mark Wahlberg blasts the engine and scatters the, the apes. Doesn't kill all of them. Some of them aren't killed by the blast. But they go mm-hmm. in and the battle starts and, and off we go, right? Yeah, off we go. But then suddenly a light from the sky. Oh! <gasps> And down comes the pod and it's Pericles who's arrived through the electromagnetic time traveling storm. (laughs) Totally fine, by the way, like no crash landing. No, but just just slips it right in there like he's parallel parking on Davy Street. Right, exactly. He just, you know, the 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 door opens and he's sitting there and all these apes are like, (gasps) Simos, he's here. He came back. Except for Thade. Thade doesn't appear to be all that moved by the display. Well, Thade has also shown that he's probably a, a monkey atheist. Yeah, a little so less he into doesn't the believe mythology, in, yeah. He doesn't believe in Simos, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, even though he sees a monkey right in front of him coming out of a spaceship, he still doesn't believe, man. <laughs> well, don't forget, he is also the only one, the only ape. Because remember, the two apes show him where the plate, where the thing crashed and the big hole that it made. He then kills those two, so he actually knows that Mark Wahlberg came from space. Which goes to show you that these apes, despite developing a complex governmental system, have not thought to go to the moon and do the other things. <laughs> That's right. They, they <laughs> Sorry, just that was my bad the, JFK. I apologize to all you JFK fans. They, they just did, they haven't had their JFK yet. Mm-hmm. You know, Apparently not. So they have not decided to go to the moon. Yeah. One of the moons. There's several moons in the sky, I think. Yeah. Um, so when pericles lands and mark Wahlberg gets him out of there and walks him back in the spaceship suddenly the battle just ends yeah the monkeys are like fine cool 
Yeah, they're like, cool. And then there's no, like, you damn dirty human. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's none of that anymore. Like, where'd that go? It's just, it's, there's no hostility between them at all anymore. It's just over. <laughs> Which is ironic because I hate to say this, and this is going to sound like a terrible criticism, but occasionally when theology conflicts with what we see on the ground, sometimes people bend the theology to fit what goes on the ground. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but that's just me talking, but... Um, so yeah, no, we go inside the ship and it's time for this kind of final little battle yeah. between Thade yeah, the and only, Leo. Yeah, the only one who still hates humans is General Thade, so yes. he and he and Wahlberg have a good old-fashioned fist fight. And, <laughs> a um, little fisticuffs. Yeah. Uh, um, Pericles tries to help, but I guess he gets wounded by Thade, mm-hmm. uh, throws him against the wall, so Which Pericles is, just for the record, the only time that an ape launches somebody and it gets hurt. This right? is true. Because yeah. the human characters get launched all. I mean, I bet they had a ton of fun, you know, because when you film those things in, in a in a soundstage, you know, you get yanked back and stuff. They probably had a ton of fun filming a whole lot of those. Yeah. I mean, I would. Probably laying on trampolines and mats is probably a good old time. <laughs> right. So that's about the only time that one of the apes like sent someone flying and they hit something and you actually saw them get hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he crawls back into his uh, his cage. To, um, I thought he was going to crawl in there and die, but I guess he doesn't die. Yeah. Yeah, so now um, Fade somehow ends up on the on the captain's deck or whatever, the pilot's bridge, mm-hmm. and uh, he finds the gun, and as he's pointing it at Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg just waves his hand over a door sensor, and the door closes, mm-hmm. and it's got bulletproof glass, coincidentally, Yep. and um, so Fade just fires the gun over and over again, and the bullet just keeps ricocheting all over the place, and he ends up hiding under the desk, like cowering mm-hmm. afraid of his own self i guess i don't know but um mm-hmm. well feeling kind of powerless because now he's stuck yeah he's probably he's, he's ironically stuck. he's probably in a cage for the first time in his life yep good point um probably in the cage and he's probably never giving up getting out so until aliens come to free him three thousand years later yeah AI which, throw back. Point, <laughs> yeah <laughs> very true you can't reanimate him though because he'll be dust no so no, gone but um so Mark Wahlberg decides he's going to get out of here. He's going to take Pericles' spaceship. He's going to leave Pericles behind. Because, right. He went I in guess, the thing to get Pericles. And, and now then, he's leaving him behind. And then he leaves Pericles. That makes zero sense. And at this time, too, uh, we also see that they're picking up all the dead bodies out there. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the apes are just like, all right, we're cool living with humans now. In fact, all these graves are going to be marked so that a thousand years from now when people dig it up, they're not going to be able to tell who's a human and who's an ape because we're all the same on the inside. No, no, no. Aw, what a a nice little message Tim Burton has sent us. So cute. I just want to roll around in a flower bed now. Aw. Yeah, no, you know, decades, you know, centuries of this anger towards humans because again they are treated like crap for most of the movie and lots of like angry like ah they're dirty and disgusting and awful and they're stupid but suddenly it's like no no we're good no they're awesome just like us and the humans are like cool cool yeah let's go do let's go get some drinks man come on right right exactly you know going back to that notion that that decades of intolerance and anger and prejudice can be undone by you know centuries can be centuries one fight fight is just I don't know. That that's really insane. So, <laughs> um, so before Mark Wahlberg leaves, he kisses Estella Warren, but then he also kisses Helena Bonham Carter, and I think there was some monkey on human kissing in the original. Uh, 
Uh, and it, it's equally as creepy here. I mean, we can do without that for sure. Yeah, apparently, uh, apparently there was a lot of conversation about that in the studio. So apparently, when the film screened in India, they had to cut the kiss. They had to cut the kiss with him and uh, him and Helen and Bottom Carter. And there was some talk of an ape human romance in this film, and the studio was like, no. And then, but maybe they'll be friends. No, <laughs> they they did not want to touch it with a ten foot pole. So now he's gonna board this pod, and I don't know where he gets it into his mind that he's if I can go back through that storm, I'll come I'm going out to back DC. in twenty twenty nine. Yeah, like how does he know that coming that flying back through that storm is gonna get him back in time? Yeah, no, I mean, you're totally just, right. That's kind of like me saying, oh, well, I want to take a few miles off my odometer, so let me just drive in reverse for a few miles. Right. Well, what is like, the point of even going back now, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if he goes back and figure, oh, yeah, I can't, you know, I'll just live my life or whatever. So he figures he's telling people back about there. the planet of apes I lived on. Yeah. Right. So he goes back, he gets out and he goes back through. And I guess it actually works somehow that he mm-hmm. goes through that and he goes back in time. This is where it gets really confusing. This is the, they tried to outdo the whole statue of Liberty thing here with this. Right. And it, it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's so many, there's so many holes. And you even asked some of the, the actors that worked on this and they're just like, yeah, I don't get it. Like Tim Roth, he didn't even get it. Mm-hmm. He, he, he can't explain it. So what happens is he goes back through and this little pod makes it all the way back to earth. He, Gets in, he crashes in D.C. right outside the Lincoln Memorial. Yep. And by the way, Mark Wahlberg around. apparently sucks at landing spacecraft in this film. Yeah, he can't too, land a spaceship. Too, yeah, Pericles yeah. had no trouble. Yeah, he landed they, that thing just fine. Yeah, his but argument the whole Wahlberg. movie was don't trust a monkey to do what a human can do, and the monkey is far better at landing craft than you are. So he crashes in front of the Lincoln Memorial, and he's walking toward the Lincoln Memorial, and he notices that the that the the statue sitting in the chair is not Abraham Lincoln. But it's General Thade mm-hmm. back on Earth. And just then, all sorts of police officers roll in, all sorts of firefighters roll in, and they're all apes. Mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg has gone back in time, crash landed on Earth, and the Earth is overrun by damn dirty apes. Apes. Mm-hmm. What the f***? <laughs> None of that makes sense. As best as I can put it together. Go. This will be fun. General Thade must have gotten out of that cage somehow Mm -hmm. and boarded one of the other pods that was in there and flew back to chase Mark Wahlberg. Thank God for forever batteries. Yeah. But since he was the last one through, he was also the first one back. Mm -hmm. So he crash landed on Earth, took over Earth from like the 1800s somehow. Since he's sitting in Lincoln's seat. Yep. Maybe that's what the Civil War was. <laughs> it wasn't North versus South. It was man versus monkey. See how it doesn't it doesn't make sense? Like, where no. did he come out of? Like, well, where did he come out? Well, I, I could suggest a simplified answer to this. The picture of the... I understand exactly what they were trying to do. The original involved... the well, end of the original... better off than I am. <laughs> well, the end of the original film involved Charlton Heston looking up and seeing a famous, comforting American monument you know, desecrated, right? In his eyes. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh my God, what's happened? This is horrible. Like big despair, boom, cut to black. 
I can see them wanting to do something similar, but not with the Statue of Liberty, right? So Mm -hmm. what other iconic American landmarks are there? Well, the Lincoln Memorial would certainly be one of them. So my suggestion, cut the part about General Thades. Just don't have any text up there and just have it be a monkey. Well, and that's the thing that made it so shocking in the original was you think he's on this faraway planet, but he's actually on Earth. Right. There's nowhere for him to get back to. He's there. He's home. Right. He's already home. He's home thousands of years in the future because they overslept. Yeah. I guess. Big big reveal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And... You know, he, he wants to go home, but he can't go home because he's already home. Yeah, there's no home to go back to. So what is the deal with having this take place on a foreign planet? And then he flies back through, comes back in time. He's back in the present day. Well, the present day, 2029. Sure. And now Earth was conquered. When? He's on, like, he's on far, an equally bad planet. Yeah. Like, how far back did they go? And it doesn't really line up either with... The um the sequels that we'll get later on not not that I don't think they're direct sequels to this or whatever they're, but the, they're not apparently the, rise apparently of the, the ending the apes, was the, they were supposed to try to explain it in a future movie but uh, the quote apparently is that Tim Burton said he would rather jump out of a window than direct a sequel to this movie <laughs> well I can't blame him so this was also the first time this was sort of the beginning of the end for my tim burton fandom yeah because after this and even a little bit to a degree before this um he only really worked on movies that already were sort of established at that time um you know sure he did the batman franchise and all that and mm-hmm. you know he'd done um beetlejuice which was pretty original quite um he did he didn't direct but it's his story for the nightmare before christmas that's really original mm-hmm. but where does he go from here Everything he does after this is basically some kind of a remake, some kind of a sequel, some kind of a reboot. He's not really done anything original in a, in a long time. Well, he had done Sleepy Hollow in 99, Mars Attacks in 1996, uh, Ed Wood in 94. Um, and then you're right. I guess if you look at after that, you've got his remake of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You've got Sweeney Todd in 07. You've got Corpse Bride. So, no, you're, you're right. I guess that is, yeah. you know, kind of a different shift. Well, yeah, Corpse Bride, pretty original. Sweeney Todd, based on a play. Alice in Wonderland, a book. Dark Shadows, based on a TV show. Frank and Weenie, that was pretty good, based on a um, a short that he made. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Big Fish in 2003 and Big Eyes in 2014. Those are relatively original. I wouldn't say they're very typical Tim Burton movies, but they're certainly pretty good. Yeah, Dumbo, of course, remaking that for Disney. I mean, after, after this, this was the start of him really not being the original visionary that he was. He was just taking his own quirky little tropes, uh, amplifying them and sticking them into movies that already had an established uh, uh, fan base or or otherwise. I mean, Charlie the Chocolate Factory could have been pretty cool, but I think Johnny Depp really kind of ruined that one with his way over the top performance on that. Could say that. Well, kind of jumping back to to this film and, and kind of and again, we could talk for a while about the ending being convoluted and, and possibly again being one of the biggest flaws of the film is that in a in a movie that was pretty hard to follow on details, it it's kind of like trying to do a 450 in the air and then landing on your face. A 450? You know what I mean. Yeah, it's a bit trying to do a lot of spinning, essentially, and not being able to get the spinning right. Um, so, again, so I, I've already established a pattern that when we talk about movies, um, nobody sets out to make bad movies, right? Nobody sets out to make a movie that fails, doesn't make its money. Again, this movie made three times its money back. But apparently Mark Wahlberg pinned the blame for this film on 20th Century Fox. 
Uh, they asked him about the new movie that they asked him about Rise of the Planet of the Apes in 2011. And he said, quote, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard it was pretty good. Well, ours wasn't. It is what it was. Or I'm sorry. It is what it is. Ours wasn't. They didn't have the script right. Fox Studios had a release date before Tim Burton had shot a foot of film. They were pushing him and pushing him. You've got to let Tim be Tim. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, these guys put movie. I mean, there's Marvel movies on the counter on the on the calendar for the next four or five years. So it's mm. almost like we're making this release date. So you better make sure this movie's done by then. Well, um, but that's a, a bad example because they have a they have a pretty iron grip on what's going on in their studio over there. But when you're working with somebody like Tim Burton, who's going to want a little bit more time to maybe realize his vision, um, yeah, I mean, you can't really put a time time frame on that one but they're like nope this has to be july 27th and we're gonna hit that so you better get cracking mm-hmm. and and more often than not that turns if i understand it correctly more often than not that's a recipe for a failing movie right well a studio is full of business executives that want to make money yes and they're not creatives well they're not the people that are out there making the stuff so they're right they don't they don't understand the work that goes into these things mm-hmm. other than the fact that it's kind of like well you can direct a movie in six weeks so why do you need 15 to prepare for it i don't get it crank out this right. movie just get it done it's a product well, for them that's true and to be fair if you're looking at this movie as a product it was a successful product based off the money it made if you're and looking that's at all they're gonna look at they're gonna be like well we got some money so and i think the most people show up for that because of tim burton Mm-hmm. I think he's a he's a brand. He's a he's a director that people will go out of their way to see. There's not many of them. You don't go to a Marvel movie because of who directed it. You go to a Marvel movie because it's a Marvel movie. Correct. But you go see a Christopher Nolan movie because Christopher Nolan directed it, not because it's a Warner Brothers movie. Right, you know? right, right. Exactly. And you know, and there's only a few directors who are kind of their own brand. Right. You know, like you'd go out to see a Tim Burton movie. You'd go out of your way to see Chris Nolan. You'd go out of your way to see Tarantino, um, Tarantino, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese. Uh, maybe at one point M. Night Shyamalan. Um, mm-hmm. Things didn't really work out <laughs> yeah. for him that way. But, uh, you know, no, well, I'll tell you, if there's one Tim Burton movie I wish I could have seen, it was the Superman movie he had planned with Nicolas oh, Cage man. playing Superman. Come yes. on. Just we come were on. robbed of that one. You talk uh, about a timeline changing event. Oh my goodness. Yep. We never we never got Nicolas Cage in the red briefs with Tim Burton calling the shots. Uh so where where do you stand on this one after 20 years? So to take it in kind of a different direction, one of the things that I've come to appreciate about movies as I've gotten older is you develop an appreciation for the behind the scenes stuff. And for example, you watch, when I watched this film as a teenager, I didn't have the conception of, well, you know, most of the actors in this film were up at three in the morning and spent four and a half hours in a chair uh, being painstakingly brushed with makeup for this stuff. And so now when you watch it, uh, again, and in, you know, not very much CGI used, some of it used, I'm sure, but in, in particular the makeup, right? A huge appreciation for how good that makeup was. In fact, when I watched it, I was like, man, I hope somebody, you know, got some hardware for this because it was very, very good. But the storytelling, I think, is still pretty tough because, like I said, too many things left unanswered. Um, a good movie can can go with some plot holes and some things that aren't very well explained. But in this case, I think there were just far too many. And the ending, the ending again, really just, again, took you and put you in another spin. We definitely hit some plot holes and potholes on this bumpy road here with this one. <laughs>
Yeah. Well, folks, that'll do it for our look in the rear view back at Planet of the Apes. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. Please feel free to talk to us on uh, Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, at Rearview Movies. Uh, we even have a TikTok. You can check us out and interact. Tell us about the things you want to see or any of the same questions you have. We'd love to kind of feature some of your thoughts in here as well. And in fact, Trevor, what is the next film we're going to be talking about? Next week, we are going to jump over to the city of hong kong and revisit lee and carter rush hour two is next week <laughs> can't wait to do that jackie chan is is one of my favorite actors to talk about directors just for his his general all-around amazing career so can't wait to have that discussion with everybody but thank you again so much for watching we appreciate everybody that tunes in and takes the time to listen to our opinions have a great trip and we'll see you down the road